1: Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcasts, too at donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's donate.kqed.org/podcast.
2: From KQED.
1: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm April Domboski. Oil drilling in Los Angeles is on the way out. The city council has voted unanimously to ban new oil and gas wells and to phase out existing ones over the next 20 years. Councilman Paul Carretz complained of a drill site in his district that leaked oil back in December.
2: It's been considerably frustrating to not have the necessary tools and authority we need to protect our constituents Uh, by immediately and unequivocally shutting down a rogue drill site like that one.
1: In response to the vote, oil industry leaders said the ban would not only be a job killer, but it would also force the city to rely more on foreign and imported oil. Environmental justice advocates have been pushing to shut down drilling for years, citing the major health impacts they have on low-income communities. And it's not just the oil wells out there. That gas stove you flick on in your house to cook dinner— Turns out that has greater health and climate impacts than scientists previously thought. KQED's Laura Clivens has the details on a study out from Stanford researchers today. Gas
0: stoves create carbon dioxide when they're on and leak methane when they're off. Both gases contribute to climate change.
2: Natural gas stoves heat the planet and they also release indoor air pollutants into the air we breathe. Carbon monoxide, formaldehyde and NOx gases.
0: Rob Jackson is an earth scientist at Stanford and study co-author. It can take just a few minutes of cooking for harmful gases to spread through the kitchen and exceed healthy levels, Jackson says.
2: We stopped burning coal in our homes decades ago. It's time to stop burning natural
0: gas, too. The issue is of particular concern in low-income communities, for people with small kitchens and poor ventilation. So what can you do? Turn on your hood, Jackson says, and make your next stove an electric one. Many cities like San Jose and Sacramento are banning natural gas hookups in new construction. For The California Report, I'm Laura Clivens.
1: Nearly half of Californians have postponed addressing a health issue in the past 12 months— because of cost. That's according to the latest annual poll by the California Healthcare Foundation. KQED's Tara Seiler has more.
0: Among those who put off care, 46% say their condition got worse.
2: It's really become a public health issue here in California.
0: Christoph Stremakis is with the California Healthcare Foundation. He says a quarter of respondents also say they, or someone in their family, had trouble paying at least one medical bill. He says Californians are looking to Sacramento for relief.
2: More than 8 in 10 Californians would like the governor and the legislature to do something about healthcare costs.
0: The poll was conducted late last year, and the data comes as two proposals are currently under consideration by policymakers. The governor is proposing to expand Medi-Cal coverage, while the assembly must vote by Monday on a single-payer plan if it's to move forward this year. For the California Report, I'm Tara Seiler.
1: California is the first state in the nation to examine how to compensate Black residents for centuries of racial injustice. The state's reparations task force meets today and tomorrow to study how the impacts of slavery are felt today and to ask several daunting questions about how to remedy the harm. Here to talk about what we can expect at this week's meetings is KPBS racial justice and social equity reporter Christina Kim. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, April. Could you start by sharing a little bit
2: more about the task force? What exactly are they tasked with and what's the goal? The goal and purpose of this task force is to study and ultimately recommend a proposal of what reparations for Black Americans might look like in California by June of next year. They began meeting last year and have already heard expert panels on issues of employment discrimination, redlining, and racist infrastructure projects. There are nine members on the task force that come from various backgrounds. It's a mix of scholars, attorneys, civil rights leaders, psychologists, local politicians, and state legislators who vary in age and perspective. And I think that diversity of thought was really intentional and important because the work that this task force is doing is groundbreaking. It's the first investigatory body in the nation doing this type of work on reparations at this scale. So everyone's really watching what happens here because it could be a blueprint for other states or even the federal government.
1: And when we say reparations, what exactly are we talking about? Are we talking about cash, land, What are some of the ways the state is thinking of of compensating Black Californians?
2: I am so glad you asked this question because I think understanding what people mean when they say reparations is really important, and it can get kind of lost in the conversation. So according to William Darity and A. Kirsten Mullen, who are both scholars of Black reparations, and actually they testified in the very first task force meeting, reparations must include three things. One is acknowledgement of the harm caused. Two is redress, and that comes in the form of atonement or restitution. And finally, the third one is closure. So in other words, reparations is really a process, but there's a lot of focus on restitution, which I think comes to stand in for reparations as a whole. But there's also a lot of diversity of opinion about what counts as reparations and what's really going to be needed to do this work of repair. So various
1: directions we can go in in terms of how we begin to restore people. What about who should get reparations? What's the tension there?
2: Who is actually going to qualify for reparations is one of the thorniest questions that the task force has to answer. Secretary of State Shirley Weber, who actually drafted AB 3021, which led to the creation of this task force, is actually presenting on this very issue today. The bill was written with a special consideration for Black Americans descended from chattel slavery in the U.S., But the task force has also been studying the harm caused by anti-Black racism. So that really complicates the demarcation line and opens up a lot of questions.
1: Christina, we just learned this week that the Supreme Court has agreed to take up a case that challenges whether affirmative action policies at some universities are legal. And this might have implications for the California Reparations Task Force.
2: How so? Yeah, I actually spoke with the chair of the task force, Camila, Moore, about this exact issue earlier this week, and here's what she had to say about that.
1: Well, we know that this is a conservative Supreme Court, and so if they decide that race-based affirmative action is illegal or unconstitutional, then that could mean that any race-based initiatives that we come up with might also be deemed challenged in the courts. And so then that would be up to us to be very crafty, to kind of evade some of those challenges.
2: What topics is the task force going to discuss this week? This week, the task force is really taking on the issue of discrimination in technology first, and that includes a testimony from Dr. Sophia Noble, who wrote the book Algorithms of Oppression. So really looking at the way our technological landscape has already built in racism and the way that affects uh, Black Americans The rest of the panels are really dedicated to health, and they've broken it up into public health, mental health, and physical health.
1: Christina, it has been so great talking to you today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, April. That's KPBS social justice and racial equity reporter Christina Kim. If you're interested in tuning in or participating in these reparations meetings, KQED has put together a guide. Find it at kqed.org. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, who's planning to retire later this year, is a native of San Francisco. He went to public schools in the city and graduated from Lowell High in 1955. In a 2011 appearance on KQED City Arts and Lectures, Breyer reminisced about his years as a high school debater competing against a future California governor. I mean, I went to Lowell High School and Jerry Brown was at St. Ignatius and we were all fairly good friends. And uh, we'd, we'd go down into the valley. We'd go to Stockton or Fresno or Bakersfield sometimes on the weekends and uh, there would be different events. And, and uh, we all got to know each other and respect and like each other. Breyer has served on the Supreme Court since 1994. One of the top candidates President Biden is considering to replace Breyer is a current California Supreme Court Justice, Leandra Kruger. And that's the California Report for Thursday, January 27th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm April Dimboski. Thanks for listening.
0: Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org.
1: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book,